you were in Memphis for a wedding. In Memphis for a okay. wedding. So um, this morning, did you you found the music to be a little intense? Was was the light a little bright too? <laughs> a, a little bit, mm. a, a, a little bit of that. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give myself a. Uh... I'll, I'll do that. Mm. It was a it was a nice time at the wedding. But gotcha. He picked us up from the airport. A young Michael Jackson, maybe a Jackson Five track, came on that I was actually. Let me. I, I think it was this one. instruments there in the mm-hmm. background and it just sounds like a summer drive along sunset with, 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 the, with the sunset coming right beautiful, beautiful for me music. it was uh driving the loop around the airport waiting for you guys to land <laughs> at least you had a great soundtrack <laughs> That's um, WDGY. I was listening to WDGY. W, what was that now? Sorry. I was listening to WDGY. Oh, the, the radio station. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, shout out to them. Not all radio stations will play Michael Jackson, but you know, we 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 hang on to Haydn and WC and all of these people talking about gollywogs, but you want to villainize a child. Michael Jackson and not play his music. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Opus 157 of the Triloquy Podcast. It's not just Michael Jackson. He's not the only Afroed artist that I've been thinking about this past week. So a few days ago, uh, I guess NASA released those images of deep space, and now we're looking even beyond the Milky Way. Or I don't, I don't, I don't know the terms. It's really great. I really enjoyed the images of everyone's countertops. <laughs> right, saying that those images were false, but <laughs> got new, a new background for their phone or for their right. computer, or, for, or yeah, for their for their Zoom, right? You know, <laughs> right. But of course, as great as that is, I suppose there is one song in particular that instantly came to mind as soon as I woke up and saw everyone posting those things on the internet, and it was this one. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night, because Whitey's on the moon. And you know, Gil Scott Heron didn't know nothing about these student loans. Mm -hmm. He'd he'd have threw that in there, too, if he knew. Because Whitey's on the moon? Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. It's hard. I don't want to rain on people's parade. And I understand that there are so many people that are fascinated by space. And there are, I guess, possibilities of things that are above my pay grade, maybe above my understanding when we talk about the benefits of deep space travel. But what do you think? What What are your reactions to knowing that now we can see we spent billions of dollars to see even further into the void. Right. So billions of dollars plus a couple billion more because they didn't they they needed some a couple extra bucks to finish the project. Oh, so I, yeah, I didn't you, even even know right. about that. But I heard a news story about it. It was on the Daily recently. They were talking about everything to get out um, to get that into place, and that 
um, they had a big screw up with the Hubble telescope. There was something like uh, they were off. The the lenses were off by like the thickness of a sheet of paper. Okay. And was causing um, blurry pictures to come back. So they doubled it. You're going even deeper into right. all this stuff I don't care about. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, hate, but I'm saying. Hitting but you what, right in the I don't give a damn. Okay. Like, so well, what do you think about it though? My point is, is that I understand that there are people who are going to get much more out of that than I will. I know that there are scientists and astronomers and people who are going to find out all sorts of new information with this. To me, it looks just like the other pictures that they, I, it, no disrespect, mm -hmm. but I, I look at it and I go, well, that, that could be the same nebula that you took a picture of over here, or I don't know any different. What do you think about this conversation uh, in the context of this classic composition by Gil Scott here and this it could was, have been written today well I, I don't think it says the year here but it doesn't matter it was a long time ago it wasn't anytime soon and yet here we are yeah. talking about it I'm sure there would be a lot of people I'm sure back then he had a a lot of hate for for that sort of thing if if it even got around to certain communities sure I didn't post the song because <laughs> I don't want to in that moment, I, I wanted to, you know, we talked about leading with compassion last week, right? So I, I don't want to just shit on people's experience and what they're excited about. And there's all this music out here that that tells this story. It's not just me being a sourpuss about it. There are songs and there's music and there are movements for us to consider. I mean, the student loan debt could be wiped out. Let's just say it. No one would be in student loan debt and there would still be money to do other things if there was some redistribution of the way that we uh, thought about where this money should be spent. And I hear people, we're diving in quick, aren't we? I hear people who say, well, you need to be critiquing the military budget before mm -hmm. you go attacking NASA. And I get it, you know, and I definitely agree with that. But two things can be true for all of the money that they have spent for us, for people to have a new Zoom background and a new mm -hmm. desktop uh, background. We, we could build cities, you know, communities for people who are houseless. We were talking about houseless people last week uh, with Kelly Hall Tompkins. There's so much on the ground, literally, <laughs> things that can be sure. done. And I tread lightly because I don't want to, I don't know. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to talk about for, for me and not really just from that spiritual point of view or nothing like that, but I want people to hear the point. And I think so many people just get cut off. Um, you know, when you, when, when you critique something like NASA, mm -hmm. um, and anyway, I think there's a conversation there and Gil Scott here and tried to try to help us have it. He did. That was the, that would have been the mid to late 1960s, I think. Mm. Um, but I, out. but I did ask you, you know, are there, space themed maybe not so critical tunes that come to your mind when you there's think about space themed music there's rocket man by elton john and that deals with you know the isolation of being up around in there and i also thought about uh space oddity by david bowie but um i'm gonna go deep on this one and go back to 1988 so i would have been in my really broody phase okay listening to the new release with a band called the church which was emo before emo knew what emo was doing. Sure. Uh, they even reference Memphis in the lyrics, but the lyric that I really wanted to key in on was in the chorus of Under the Milky Way by the church. Under the Milky Way tonight 
Wish I knew what you were looking for. Because <laughs> I don't. I don't. It looks like a picture of any other spot in the sky. It, it, so I, don't, it sound, I don't know any different. So it sounds like you have a, a similar feeling about it as I do. I think I'm more music, in the, a, Music aesthetically different, but right. the heart of the sentiment is similar. Right. Uh, I, I guess I'm at an, a level of ambivalence where you're more like in a spiteful mode, I guess. What are your ideas about what's more important than than these images and the and the money to 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 manifest them and to and to to do all of these things? Yeah, I think that where, we where, could, where, where, where should be where we sh- where should we be putting that energy otherwise? I think it'd be great if if folks had a place to live, everyone had a place to live. If we didn't. Uh, have so many people that were in a state of want. I mean, no, 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 not even want, but need. Yeah, you know, as yep. far as like uh, food and housing both go. Now, this is the thing. I'm sure there's a way to connect equity and to connect class solidarity and and just social justice to this sort of work to NASA work. I'm sure NASA has a a, a DEI <laughs> some department or or whatever they're doing, but the work is to actually make it connect mm. and help people understand how it connects. So, you know, I, I I guess I can it can sound like I'm on both sides of the fence. I can imagine a way in which this sort of space travel and this sort of research can be useful for just the everyday man and woman and individual on the ground. I just don't see that. Um, but somebody over there needs to figure that out and do it. I don't work in in science. You don't work in science and deep mathematics and those sorts of things. We work in music. We work in classical music. And what we try to do is connect those things. There are a lot of people who might have the same uh, feeling that we have about space travel. Oh, what's the use in spending the money for an opera when you have X, Y, and Z? And honestly, I would probably be closer to their side than they think Mm. when it comes to that. And we can make that connection. If we would all just take the industries that we're in or things that we think are cool and find a way to channel that energy, those conversations, figure out how it can work um, and lead to conversation and action that will impact people on the ground. I think we'll have a, a better planet Earth here and maybe a planet Earth that's so good, it, we will be in a position to go see what else we can do and what else is out there. I'm also understanding that we've littered on, you know, two celestial bodies at this point, Mars and the moon. We just have trash up there now when there mm. wasn't. Anyway, space travel and all y'all... <laughs> Thoughts and prayers to you. Shout out to you. Congratulations, however you feel. Let's figure out how to connect that to some real conversation and to some real people, just as we try to make that connection between so-called classical music and the world here on this podcast. Let's jump in. Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, Opus 147, 157. Sorry. Thank you, everyone, for returning and to uh, and for continuing to support this show and 
helping us keeping it afloat as busy and crazy and and everything our lives are. If this is your first time checking out the Triloquy podcast, Triloquy is a show that takes the phrase classical music and approximates it to conversation, to music, and to news, and to uh, the happenings of the world in a way that haven't always been done, but in a way that we think can be toward decolonizing that phrase classical music and making it an art form and a concept that can connect and have a positive and genuine impact with more people. For more information on the Triloquy podcast, visit Triloquy.org. You can check out past opuses, donate there, and learn a little bit about the folks who make this show possible. In addition to your support, Triloquy is made possible in part by the Shuttleworth Foundation, by Springboard for the Arts. I want to give a special shout out to Primo Artists and Buckle Suite who helped uh, me coordinate many of the guests for Triloquy. Thank you all so much. Uh, Kurt Erickson and Will Chase are the guests for this week's third movement that's coming up about at the hour mark that's where it's been lately so we'll we'll see if we can <laughs> keep, keep on keep on time today because there's a few things a couple things to address here so let's yeah. go ahead and jump into those here in movement one you're kicking us off taking us to classic fm this week to, to, to say a little bit about classic fm first of all classic fm is a big presence in classical music in, in the United Kingdom. Okay. And they tend to focus on news that side of the pond, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and, so and English, I, Irish, you just, right. You know. And, and I would say, you know, they're no, they're no slip disc, you know, they're not conservative like that, mm-hmm. you know, but just focused um, on, just them. focused on and classical music. That, yeah. And so I Sorry, thought I'm crunching that, in the mic. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I thought I would um, pull out this book here, this New York Times bestseller, The Definitive Guide to Stuff White People Like, <laughs> The Unique Taste of Millions. Which is there is, an author on that? Yeah, it's uh, Christian Lander. Shout out to Mr. Lander. And um, I look through it, and you know, some people are offended by it, and some people laugh, and I just look forward, look through, and I go, yeah, I like that, I like that, yep. It doesn't affect me, but um, number 115 on this list is non-American news sources. So yeah, let's go to Classic <laughs> FM, <laughs> well, but, because but, we well, can no, feel like I'm, I'm hip, you know? So, so, but, but let's start right there. We're running to Classic FM. We're running to a European news source. And I'm not saying just us, you, you and I, but mm-hmm. in general, we're running to a European arts news source to talk about American things. You have a headline here that's getting into the uh, George Floyd's impact on uh, Minnesota classical music, you know, but mm-hmm. it's coming from Classic FM. Are we seeing this from the local news sources? Uh is this not something to be covered by the non-arts-centered news sources? And I'm sure maybe someone has written something. Maybe Classic FM is uh, citing people throughout or or uh, at the at the end of this article. But I do think it's a, an interesting conversation to think about the normalization of Europe, the centricity of Europe, not only in the majority of the programming, but in the news that we mm-hmm. read about the industry, even news that is directly uh, grown and uh, impacted here here locally, and we're still over there. I don't know. I think that's interesting. It's an important Is, is there point. something to that? I'm, I'm wondering, because I don't remember reading a piece like this as reported from any of our publications. Mm-hmm. And let me give you an idea why. One of the quotes here is from Daria Adams, who is a violinist with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, and she lives just a few miles away from where George Floyd was killed. 
and she talks about how they, as a as an orchestra, started to come together and see what they could do, and that was by playing music of underrepresented composers. And everyone in the, in the orchestra was at home listening and digging just who these composers were and how they've been overlooked. And it wasn't just about black composers, but women, Hispanic, and so on. Um, and we mm, see we jumped so quickly. So we're we're talking about again. This headline is how the murder of George Floyd impacted music making in Minneapolis and across the globe. Help me, Scott, understand the jump between we have police disproportionately killing black men and how that is flipped into oh well our musical programming it's not only about black composers but but it's about all underrepresented and all marginalized i don't think it's a bad thing to have a more broad spectrum because something i've been thinking about more um intentionally lately in my work is gender marginalized composers and making sure that we get that music out there. So, you know, I'm, I mm-hmm. want to start by mm-hmm. saying that I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, uh, about, uh, you know, centering the black composers and the black struggle in a way that completely excludes all else. And how do we, how do we get there? How, how, how does this turn into that? Mm-hmm. I don't think we're having that conversation enough, especially in the, on the art side. I see what you're saying, but I think that what she's getting at, and it probably didn't come through in that quote very well, is that as people realize that, yes, they have been neglecting black composers they're also noticing the other blind spots too, and it comes in a wave. I think that's kind of what she was referring to is not only black people being underrepresented, but all these others too. I get what you're saying. It, you know, it, it, it detracts attention away from the fact that George Floyd was a black man that was killed. I get you. Um, and, this, and the systems <clears throat> behind that. Sure. Not that it just so happened to be a black man, but that there are there's intentionality behind how they again are disproportionately how we are disproportionately targeted by the police so for me the translation of that over into the arts is the intentionality behind leaving out black aesthetics Mm. in concert halls Mm -hmm. if we want to have that conversation i feel like that's an organic way to really get into finding those connections and maybe branching off into other things like talking about women composers but before you have that conversation you know you can't have the conversation of black women composers black gender marginalized composers mm. i think it's so easy for black folks to get um just swept under the rug in the name of dei in the name of bipoc in the name of people of color you know and you know you have these diverse spaces these spaces full of people of color and the black folks are left out when at the end of the day, it's the struggle and the murder of black people that inspired these conversations. And yet, you know, it's very easy for us to to branch off and center something else. Maybe I, I hope this translates right for, for, for people listening. And my point is being made. I'm, I'm not saying forget about everybody who is not black. I'm saying we have to notice things like this, how quickly we can move away from the why of these conversations and and forget about how we got here you know the real uh, response i wanted to get for you was from this next quote because what is this by the way a natural yes okay i'm challenged by this one for years we've been playing dead white guys and the weird thing is i don't think we noticed for a very very long time um 
because I I know people who have been noticing for a long time. Mm -hmm. First of all, this podcast since 2018, 2019, right? But you have folks like Classically Black and even beyond just the uh, contemporary iterations of this conversation, you can go all the way back to Black Swan Records in the 1920s. Sure. There were folks noticing it then, you know. Uh, but, you know, let me let me not overstep. You've been in the radio game mm -hmm. for a long time. Is this the first time? This conversation is being happening on, on the radio side. Has there never been the we need to diversify our programming uh, conversation memo meeting mm -hmm. at the workplace? I've been talking about this since 2015. Okay. And in it was in the guise mainly I wanted to reach out to new listeners. Mm -hmm. And it quickly became, you know, about people of color within, I don't know, by 2016 or 2017. Um, and uh, Dr. Rocky Diaz is also cited in this article, and I wanted to get your feedback on. Yeah, local uh, DEI worker here works with uh, yeah. the McPhail Music Center in Minneapolis. He says, I think even as early as at least 10 to 15 years ago, they acknowledged the writing was on the wall and said, we need to be more inclusive. Is that accurate? I mean, 10 to 15 years ago, I was 20 years old, you know, <laughs> doing my own thing and paying attention to my to my own world. I step carefully because... I don't want to undercut the conversations and the work that has happened before, you know, what folks were doing in the 80s and 90s. I think, you know, it saddens me to a degree to think about the fact that it was our generation who really brought this up, you know, because True. I really started True. focusing in on this around the same time, 2015, 2016. So I want to make sure I'm I'm respecting the work that has to be done in acknowledging that, you know, from my perspective, it's really been amped up. I just haven't been here, you know, for as long, for the decades that that other people have. So maybe mm. they, you know, I don't know. You notice when you notice, you get onto the onto the bus when you get onto the bus, so to speak. And it looks like the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra musician is just saying that. We, we didn't notice it before. The death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, brought it up. It seems it seems like uh, there's a lot of support for the canon, you know, for the um, here in the United States. And I'm talking about the Twin Cities in specific. Okay. For you know, um, but we know that the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, Schubert Club, and Minnesota Orchestra are. You, there are things that you can point to where you can see that they're they're making a shift. And that's just here in Minnesota. I know y'all don't know what the Schubert Club is and, and any of that, but I, you know, the the broader point that I think I'm I'm trying to pull from it is, you know, uh, the murder of George Floyd happened over two years ago. We're still having articles, even international ones, in the in the art sector that are pulling that to draw on what uh, arts institutions are doing. We have the conversation of you know the the arts publications from overseas you know, being the ones to put these sorts of things out, at least how it comes in front of my eyes, mm -hmm. you know, in, in front of our eyes. Same. And it took someone's death to someone's murder again to for, for these conversations to happen at these institutional levels. It's kind of unfair, I think, for someone to um, have to die for the conversation to be heard. We, people have been pushing. 
you know, when I when I came to NPR in 2018, I was I was talking about this and, you know, uh, trying to push the, the the repertoire and X, Y and Z. And, you know, George Floyd hadn't been murdered yet at, at that point. Yeah. It's it's not fair that someone has to die for these conversations no, to happen right. yeah. and for the yeah. conversations to be led by folks who aren't even here. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple things in this article that I thought I wanted to uh, pull out. There's a quote here again. It says, um, one of the things they did, which I really love, was they lowered and also limited the ticket price for those who can't pay full price. They're talking about the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. I think we've said it here before. We have to stop correlating cost with um, diversity because black folks pay for what we want to pay for. You know, you can't get, uh what's his name is going to be over at the Excel Center in a few weeks. Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. Thank you. You're not going to be able to get in there. You you. And and those tickets are not cheap. So Kendrick Lamar's team is not talking about, oh, well, let's make sure that the black people can get in. So let's lower the ticket price. You know, that would be ridiculous sounding. Right. But we accept that out of our arts organizations. I'm not saying that that's not a factor at all. I don't like the idea of these organizations saying, oh, well, these black people are just so broke. So let's make sure that, you know, we lower the price for them so that they can get in. You know, that correlation, I think, is a is a, a little problematic and then you know the the one other thing comes at the end of this article it'll it'll be tagged in the description it says because that brave young woman kept her camera on we saw the murder of floyd if we had just heard about it yes it would have been horrible but it wouldn't have had the same impact is that not very cringy to you hearing about the murder of a person is one thing but seeing it is really what's gonna activate us i mean i, I and i and i guess i can't argue the the truth of the world because obviously that's what happened rodney king they had to see it you know mm-hmm. and and that still wasn't enough for those courts george floyd they had to see it we have to we have to die for the orchestras to, to do something see mm, mm, mm. the thing is th- this takes me all the way back to even some classes i took in undergrad just reading these studies about um, the things that news organizations do in order to get advertisers, to get viewership. Um, they would study how they keep somebody looking at the television for as long as possible. And far and away, stories that had video, people remembered better. Mm-hmm. So I see that happening. But we've also gotten to a point where we're seeing everything, that there's a camera on everything. and watching snuff is where we've gotten mm. to to mm. to be moved yeah because we've been desensitized to what degree so now we're actually watching the actual deaths in order to be moved into action any final words on this article i just you said brought it I, I said good day <laughs> i said good day i mean i i, I don't know i am um, i don't know what my Reaction is supposed to be uh, an applause to to Classic FM highlighting uh, a local orchestra who, as I scroll their member page, there isn't one black person on here as a member. They have one uh, guest musician. But OK, you you have your guest artists, you're doing your guest programming. You know, it's reminding me of the opening conversation about not trying to completely rain on the parade of people who believe in all of this space travel and are so in, in awe about it. You know that's that's good for you, and I'm I'm not trying to completely invalidate that. I'm not trying to completely invalidate what local uh, uh, arts institutions here in the Twin Cities are doing. And 
I mean, what do, what do you want me to say? I, I don't know. So a, a person had to die, and now you're, you know, putting things next to your Beethovens and, and to your your Schuberts and, and, and your Tchaikovsky's. And then Classic FM from across the pond is writing an article so that folks over in England can think about how how much progress is is being made over there. Isn't that good for those people? I don't know. Obviously, this, this isn't for me, and it's not for the people that they allege that they want to reach at the end of the day. I just yeah. got off of a, pl- a flight today, so maybe I'm feeling a little crotchety. <laughs> I, I was know. wondering, but no, this is good. This anyway, is good. but but uh, again, this is your accidental. Anything else on here? No, thank tagged. you. All right. Well, I, I will give uh, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra a couple flowers. This this past season, they uh, featured an artist named Abel Sela Ochoa, uh, and it it drew the crowd and it it got people's attention about what's possible in orchestral spaces, chamber orchestra spaces. So uh, they they posted this video on the Classic FM article. So we'll listen to uh, just a bit of this. This is a, a published St. Paul Chamber Orchestra dress rehearsal excerpt featuring Abel Sela Ochoa. Let's take a little listen here. It's fun to listen to, and it's fun to watch the video, and it's fun to imagine being in that space. I guess where we gotta, where we have to flip our mind to is the nuance of let's celebrate getting to the baseline mm. of where we should be anyway. Right. You know, right. not celebrating, oh, look at how over and beyond. No, we're we're trying to get to the point to where we're actually equitable, mm-hmm. you know, and then we can talk about what's over and beyond, who's doing the all black season, as as you say. And then, you know, folks like me will really have to sit down and shut up. You know, mm. I won't <laughs> I won't I won't have nothing to to complain about about it. Um it is, but at, at this point, it it is what it is. It's hard for me to celebrate ensembles who I'm just not seeing doing what they can do to the extent to to what they can do. Yes, you can bring in the guest artists, and and that's great. You know, they have Paviel uh, featured, Paviel French featured uh, several weeks ago, and we went down and saw the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. That's great. But who is on stage? You know, you, you they, they do a great job. Orchestras across the country do a great job of diversifying sub lists and, and who's in, but who's actually just hiring the black musicians? That's, that's my question. And that is something that can be done. We love to build barriers and, and center the, uh, the, the hard part of the work, which is actually the work going in and talking with the unions and getting certain regulations changed in the name of DEI so that you can just hire five, 10 black musicians and they just work here now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's the work, the figuring out how we get there, the the fitting in the guest artists uh, and getting the articles written about you, you know, where you can, where it's convenient. That's something, but I, I think that's more baseline. Mm. Let's. I, I want to radically push forward. It's, it's it's hard for me to 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 take my hat off and and throw flowers. Sure, at, I get it. At 
at what I see as the light work. Mm-hmm. You know, getting the guest artists is the light work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we we got so much more to do. And I want us to be able to have this conversation in a way where it's not feelings hurt. It's us looking at the same goal and us weighing our different perspectives on how to get to that goal and determining if we actually have the same fucking goals at the end of the day i see what you saying. let's get to this um next accidental i'm <laughs> i know i know i'm sorry y'all it's been a long day but i appreciate you being here i'm gonna wrap up this first movement with a, a flat here i'm reading from the new york times this this story has been on a lot of of publications, all of them at this point, uh, even Classic FM uh, across the pond through their hat into the ring. But I'm going to read here from New York Times. The headline is Soprano withdraws from opera, citing blackface in the Trepco's Aida. And they even put blackface in quotes as if it's alleged blackface. So let me read a little bit from the top here. It says a leading American soprano, Angel Blue, announced this week that she was withdrawing from her planned debut at the Arena di Verona in Italy to protest its use of blackface makeup in a production of Verdi's Aida that starred the Russian soprano Anna Netrebko. Uh, The use of blackface under any circumstance, artistic or otherwise, is a deeply misguided practice based on archaic theatrical traditions which have no place in modern society. Um, These are the words of Angel uh, Blue. And uh, she goes on to say that it's offensive, humiliating and outright racist. Um, We've been here before. And that's what's sad Mm -hmm. with Anna Netrebko and this blackface. You said she double tripled down somewhere. I, I think I saw a post of, of Anna Netrebko basically saying, y'all not going to get me to stop. That is what it is. Continue to have your uh, with the picture complaint party. Yeah. I look beautiful in this blackface makeup. Oh, my gosh. Um, what are your immediate reactions, Scott, to uh, not doing something because it's happening in the space. I think the conversation that it pulls up for me is where do we draw the line in our professional relationships with institutions mm-hmm. and organizations? Yeah, I I do think that's a good spot to draw the line. And plus, there is such a thirst for black artists at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got an incredible amount of power by saying, you know, by pulling her performance and saying this is the reason. Plus, number one, I applaud her for doing it. Not a lot of people would have the courage to do what she did. Mm-hmm. But I think that you're going to start seeing it more. And this, uh, what is it, Arena de Verona? Is that a major place to perform? It is must that like be. A, a dream place to it perform? It must be. Okay, well, they came out and s- told us who they are, right? They said, well, if it's historical, is, is there an official statement right. or something? In well, here? there there is something along that lines. And also, I wanted to get your response here is they said that um, she knew this going, but the, she knew that they were going to be doing Aida and doing this historical makeup beforehand. Who is she? Sorry, Angel Blue? Yeah, they said that she knew this. This oh. was already planned she, when when it, when we approached her for this. Well, episode. you know what? Maybe maybe we need to give black women the room to uh, have nuanced thought, to sit with things and think about things for a while and change their mind. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I and I don't think that's here nor there. But even if we want to put that into the conversation, maybe maybe she was OK with it at first and then came to her senses. That's OK as well. And we need to leave room for that mm-hmm. um, beyond blackface. I think just in general, I mean, your boss, you know, somebody's boss says the N word or, you know, all these. So we can think of all of these extreme examples of people cutting ties with organizations because they aren't going to deal with the racism. What I put on my social media last week in response to this was that I think this is an example of where opera sort of uh, moves faster, more progressively than orchestral fields and, and other fields because we don't see orchestral musicians getting off stage or canceling their contracts with these uh, all white seasons or predominantly white seasons or or uh, featuring composers who have historical issues. And, you know, anyway, I think we need to dig deeper when it comes to this sort of of activism. It's easy to get off the and and this is not a jab at Angel Blue. I'm in full respect and agreement with what she's doing, not diminishing it at all. I'm saying it's obviously the right thing to do to cut ties when we're dealing with racism as it manifests this way. I think we have to start having the conversation of what racism looks like in that more nuanced way, in that more systemic way, and consider these types of protests every time we see an orchestra concert or an orchestra season that lacks the diversity that we need to see. Mm -hmm. Or or, uh, if if an orchestra won't hire other people of color, you know, and you're a person of color in these organizations, you're just going to sit there and be happy being the lone one? Or are you going to get up and say, okay, well, you know what? I'm not playing until y'all hire some more composers, uh, some more uh, musicians of color. Mm. That That's what I want this action by Angel Blue to inspire. Uh, and I can remain hopeful uh, and I can talk my shit here on Triloquy, but it's really going to have to be the people in those positions having the courage to stand up and do what she did. I hope that she inspires more people. Mm. Me too. Now, because this is the Triloquy podcast, I have the very difficult job of digging in even deeper when it comes to these issues and what's surrounding it. Angel Blue is not the only black woman to be engaged by this organization of Arena D. Verona. There was one opera singer who decided to stay and not in this production in a production um, of Carmen, I Mm. believe, but had this to say on social media. Again, I feel like classic FM is not going to go here. So I have to, it says, I would like to thank and congratulate my friend Angel Blue on her decision. We are all individuals experiencing this life and career together. I acknowledge your courage. Part of racism is grouping a race of people together. Anti-racism and equity gives us the privilege of being free to share our individual perspectives and walk in our individual truth. What I read from that is anti-racism and equity gives some of us the opportunity to help perpetuate and affirm these racist decisions and, you know, be used as the scapegoat of, oh, they don't have a problem with it. So right, what's your problem? Right. I think we have to be on the same page. I mean, what are what are your what are your immediate ideas about one person doing or one person saying, but not everyone doing? I feel like we can't really have the impact 
that we can have unless we're really on the same page. You so know, you're talking if, about if, unity. If I mean. more of us can dig into that unity that we have to dig into that solidarity to get actual change. Mm. Angel Blue, as powerful and impactful as she is, and as great of an impact as this will have on the dialogue of the industry, Natrebko is still doing her thing out here. And the blackface is continuing. And at the end of the day, this opera company has a black woman to point at who didn't have a problem with it, at least not enough to cancel her contract with this organization. Mm. So here we are. Nothing is actually changing. I the see. solidarity is really what we need. Yeah. Am I stretching? No, I don't think that you're necessarily stretching. It's, I mean, you, you do introduce perspectives that are new to me because I wouldn't have been thinking in that direction of you know, getting everybody on the same page because, frankly— Myself, it's not in this list from the New York Times of stuff white people like, but <laughs> I think that there is a tendency for a lot of people to believe that, that uh, all black opera singers would be on the same page and in agreement with how to proceed with their careers. And I think this fight for equity has to grow beyond some of the respectability politics that we have built for ourselves. Mm. I am not comfortable on my platform burying a black woman. And I understand that respectability politic as one in this situation that can help perpetuate the problem that we're dealing with and talking about in the first place. It's it's a, a hard thing to, to tiptoe around, but at the end of the day, I disagree with that sentiment. I completely disagree with here, quote, uh, as as this person's, you know, as this black opera singer's, uh, who is not Angel Blue, says, anti-racism and equity gives us the privilege of being free to share our individual perspectives and walk in our individual truth. Well, you know, all of those are are dog whistles. It's saying mm. this was not a deal breaker for me, but good for you, girl. Go you you go, girl. You know, but I'm gonna keep my 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 contract with this opera company and my my own business and maintain my relationships. We have to we we have to reach that solidarity. It fatigues me to think about the road toward that solidarity because the largest, biggest voices in this industry who are black who could help pr press that needle aren't doing it. Many are. Mm -hmm. We need all to, and that's 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 where my mind is right now. I think we have to figure out how to have this conversation in a way that actually challenges because on the other side of that challenging conversation will be, okay, this is our company front. This is what we're doing. This is the fight we have to fight. Blackface is wrong under all circumstances, but it's going to keep going if we're not all on the same page. So I guess as, as I wrap this up here, I'm, I'm talking to the black opera singers. We are going to have blackface and opera until all of y'all stand up against it. Not a few of us, not some of us, not most of us, all of us. We have to be the ones. I'm sorry to, to put the onus, and maybe people will disagree with me, shifting the onus onto black people when it comes to this anti-black issue, this racist issue, but... We, we, we have to agree that this is wrong before we can have some leverage uh, against these powerful uh, opera companies and, and arts institutions. Mm -hmm. And as I was referring to earlier, 
beyond just this being the issue of blackface and opera. We need to get on the same page when it comes to programming. It's not okay in the year 2022 for a program to have all white people on it. Certainly not all dead white composers from Europe. We have to decide that that's not okay and put our money where our mouth is and stop being platformed as change makers in the arts just because we're black folks going along with what they want us to go along with. Mm. That's one of my stresses, Scott, about re-entering the work field because I don't want to soften my approach in that way. I think that I can, um, you know, say things in a way to be heard and not necessarily have shock value, but, you know, while Mm -hmm. maintaining myself and my own uh, personality and my own convictions, but also I see how easy it is for someone to see themselves as a change maker and a positive voice as a person of color in the arts when you're actually helping the the adversary you're you're perpetuating the the issue by being okay with it and staying in conjunction and in collaboration with 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 those institutions uh it's hard out here people are trying to make a living i i i get all of that i still think not all of us are doing everything that we can do. So let's think about that. Let's think about how we can challenge and push in ways that will actually give us some leverage. I'm going to shout out Angel Blue because not only is she proving to have deep convictions when it comes to pro-blackness and being unapologetically here for um, anti-racism in a true way and even challenging it to the point of stepping down and reaching out of her pocket. You know, she's going to get many other uh, collaborations and, and bookings because of this. If I had an opera house, she would be I would be on the phone right now trying to get her to 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 do something anyway. Mm. But not only is she that person, at the core of it, she's an incredible musician. You, you see, we forget about the fact that we don't have time to actually uh engage our art and our and our gifts because we around here dealing with this stuff right. and having to be on headlines as uh as as activists and XYZ. Anyway, all of that to say, I wanted to share um a performance by Angel Blue. I actually saw her perform live at the Met when I went to go see Fire Shut Up On My Bones, and I was so moved by the seasoning that was on the technique. You know, you could really tell that Angel Blue is someone who can sing the Verities and the Puccinis and all of that, but can also sing the blues and can sing the gospel, the American classical music, the black classical music that needs to be platformed beside all of that stuff. Anyway, it mixed in really great in her role in Fire Shut Up In My Bones. And we're going to listen to just an excerpt from her performance, Angel Blue singing here a, uh, a tune called Peculiar Grace. Speaking of the Met and speaking of New York and and all of that, uh, Chuck Gomez is working on that film. He was uh, filming, you know, that involved Triloquy. Mm -hmm. So he wanted the the raw audio from the opus uh, that he filmed. And I forgot that that was the one we were talking about, Debussy and the the Gollywog. And we were kind of going there, you know, and having the conversation of where do we draw the line? At Mm -hmm. what point are we going to say, no, this is, this is inappropriate that was uncomfortable i i i just spent 
15 minutes yelling at the black people saying that, <laughs> that, that y'all need to get in line and we need to get on the same page. Do you have any words concerning drawing the line? You know, and again, not necessarily telling everyone to throw all the papers in the air and quit their job. But at what point, you know, what, 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 where do you, I'll, I'll ask it this way. At what point do you feel like, no, I cannot move forward this is a situation in which I have to say something and I have to I have to stay on my ground. I can tell you that anybody who has voiced support for Russia over New, over Ukraine has been pulled. And so that includes Anna Nevtrebko. So that wouldn't come across. But I I do replace Handel. That's that's my one. I mean, we know the story of of Handel and and sure. you know the, it, it's so glaringly obvious that I don't have a problem subbing that out. I just I'll, I, I I just think we have to determine even more where we're going to get more contemporary with the conversation. I appreciate the Handel substitutions. We have to dig in and see. Okay, this recording was performed here or produced by this organization. Right. You know, we 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 have to get more real about these conversations, and we have to start drawing lines. Mm-hmm. This whole both I, I, a lot of conversations are both and. I feel like <laughs> the road to perpetuating all of this racism is is paved by both and mm. to an extent. Anyway. That's all. That's all. Uh, that's all the time I'm gonna spend talking and thinking about that, at least for now. But we're here in the second movement, where Scott and I are gonna highlight some music that we've been living with uh, this week, and you know, a little bit of how we got there and why we think it's some important music to include in your classical listening. How about you get us started, Scott? Um, you were talking about what are your what do you think about space and what kind of music do you think of when it comes to space? Okay, because we were talking about the Webb Telescope and all sure. that earlier on. But um, that got me to thinking about Philip Glass's treatment of some music by David Bowie and Brian Eno. And he brings up a really great point in the liner notes to his Hero's Symphony, um, which I think is something people need to realize, that since people have been making music, composers have been influenced by the music that's being made around them. Mm -hmm. Of course. So this was his opportunity to take some... Uh, I don't know if uh, this is rock music, but some people might call it progressive or psychedelic or whatever, and make it symphonic. And I think that it's probably some of the most accessible of Philip Glass's compositions. And you can hear the David Bowie in it, but it's still Glassian. So Philip Glass, so just so I'm clear, Philip Glass took a rock album and orchestrated it. That's right. The, The Heroes Symphony is a a six-minute symphony based on tracks from uh, the Heroes album by David Bowie. And the one that I think is the the most accessible is the Sons of the Silent Age, because you can hear it. You can hear the Bowie in there, but it's not too long before Glass shows up in it and he makes it his own.
Sons of the Silent Age make love only once, but dream and dream. They don't walk, they glide in and out of life. They never die. They just go to sleep one day. Where does that quote come from? That's one of the lyrics that as sung oh, by, of the original as, David right, Bowie. As sung by David Bowie. But, okay. I mean, that's just such a pleasant track. And I have to think about, you know, um, composers that would incorporate folk music and that of Roma people and 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 it would get their listeners excited because they recognize a theme in it and they go, I know this. I know and and it makes them want to, you know keep on listening and feel like they have a, a stake of ownership in it. David Bowie, speaking of where we draw lines, David Bowie was in some <laughs> some hot water. The man's dead. Leave him alone. Oh, is he? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. See, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm that far removed from that <laughs> genre and, and that music. But even so, okay, we talk, we're, let, let, this is triloquy. Let's have the conversation. We're talking about an artist who has been accused of statutory rape, you know, 15-year-old girls. Is that and mm. and he's dead? Is that it? Are his recordings of Peter and the Wolf? You know those narrations. Mm. Are those I, thrown I'm, out? Do we not know? We I don't. Did, we don't know. I did not know that he had been accused <laughs> of that. I did not know that. That's yeah. new information. And 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 that happens to me all the time as well. I didn't know about what was going on with Marilyn Manson, <laughs> and I was still around here listening uh, to his music on mm. the side. And and you you put me on to that. Right. Um. So where do we go? We're here. We're talking about this beautiful piece of music that I, I I love. Philip Glass. I agree with you that this is very accessible. Do is this removed from the playlist? Proximity. I don't know. I think I just to, got to gotched. This is gotcha. <laughs> this is gotcha journalism here. I just got gotched. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to read that. I don't know. I didn't. Okay. Re- I didn't realize that. Is it cre- is it a credible accusation? And that that, that well, I'll I'll let you do your research okay. because I don't I don't I'm, want any because I don't think there's anything to question. So okay. if, so if you just, need to fact check, I'll let you do that on your own. That's time. all I'm saying. You um, can send me the article. <laughs> but 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 I think that's just an example of where these conversations have to go. You know, when we when we when we're really talking about what we make room for, what has to stay, and the nuance of conversation towards that, we have to not be afraid to dig in there mm-hmm. because you know I'm not all that familiar with David Bowie and his music. I remember hearing about that. Um, what does that mean for this piece of music that I love by Philip Glass? I used to air the hero symphony all the time so you know there 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 are those things to think about and this music can get us there well we'll we'll, we'll stop there on, on on that and and let you know let, yeah, let, let the people go decide read. um well for for my second uh ending this week for the second movement i wanted to highlight a rapper an indigenous rapper uh known professionally as superman so in my land acknowledgements and my presentations again shout out to the lakes area music festival i want to do more than just acknowledge the land we're going to take a little bit of time to actually listen to some indigenous musicking to honor the communities that we, whose land we're acknowledging last week with joe rainey you know, when you're bringing that in, yeah. you, you got me going down all sorts of rabbit holes of indigenous music makers and Superman came up. Um, and this this track that I'm going to share, it's a it's a freestyle. He starts by uh, looping different sounds, his voice, different instruments um, on this machine that gets the beat going. And he drops some bars in the process. So this is what I've been listening to. Let's take a listen. Man, 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 man. 
land back. Attention everybody, this land was stolen. That's why I jump on this mic like, let's go then. I'm golden, and your flow is trashy. To the man who stole my antidepressants, I hope you're happy. So come and get your love like red bone. I'm lit when I spit, you better smudge your headphones. They want in my balls like when they stuck in the dead zone. But this ain't death, I'm repping it nice. Call me the judge, cause you get sentenced to life. Pro agency, you messing with a res fed Like the game of bowling, cause we knocking down rednecks Nah, I'm making fun, maybe them racist ones Come on, put away them guns and stop the hating, son I ain't trying to be the hostile who shot you I got no beef, man Impossible You know, his use of that word, rednecks And I don't even know if I should be bleeping myself It's hard to know with some of this language I thought twice about sharing that in front of the audience that I, I shared that with in the process of, of making uh, my land acknowledgement for that mm. uh, pre-concert thing. But, you know, I what I settled into was who am I to edit the sentiment of a, of a marginalized people, the marginalized people of this world? How would you feel about airing a piece of music that used that word? Would you double guess yourself? Would that be something that you would be concerned that someone will have a problem with I'm, I'm i'm trying to field a different perspective because that's not a word that i come to often maybe there's a conversation to be had there because i know people who use it with pride there's that too yeah so i forgot about that yeah um, as, as as is the case for you know the n-word too but. right i mean it's it, it's definitely not to compare those at all but all i'm saying is read the room first <laughs> true true that's that's my point um, but also, I think uh, I, I just don't know if redneck carries the weight. Of course, nothing, nothing does. Uh, nothing. I, does. I, I just don't. But in addition to that, you know, I, I really enjoyed having the opportunity to uh, bring in this track in conjunction with a land acknowledgement. You know, we're talking about digging more into the uncomfortable parts of these conversations toward something greater you know and i think when it comes to land acknowledgements it's what repatriation actually looks like mm. are you ready to to have the conversation do you think other people are have are ready to have the conversation about things like home ownership and what that looks like in the process of of repatriation for example, we can make the land acknowledgement and we, and we can, you know, do that respectable thing as a society. Do you think we're ready to take that next step and determine what it looks like to give land back? I don't think so. <laughs> we have a long way to go. And I no. spend a lot of my time thinking about that, you know. Right. No, I, I've had conversations with my next door neighbor who has very negative opinions toward indigenous people he thinks they get everything and i'm over here going oh my god i'm trying to help you i'm trying to I, i'm trying to get you to say something positive here and you keep driving us down the wrong road yeah i have a problematic neighbor i do shout out to so superman. we've got a way no what i'm saying is we've got a ways to go with some folks shout out to superman i can get on these stages and make these presentations and say what I say about land acknowledgements and repatriation. I think hearing it directly from indigenous people, it's it's hard to argue. Uh, I don't have whatever ingredients your neighbor has in my mind 
to fix my mouth to say things like they get everything. No, Oof. everything was taken from them mm-hmm. is what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but shout out to Superman. I'll have that track linked in the description of this. It's heavy conversations that are going to get us there. I think we've been having the light conversation of acknowledgement of black squares of thoughts and prayers since 2020. Shit's getting real mm-hmm. and we have to really push forward and and engage things in a really direct way. And that's what uh, the guests have done this week. We're transitioning here into the third movement. This week I speak with Kurt Erickson and Will Chase. Kurt Erickson is a composer um, and a, a multidisciplinary artist who has uh, created a song cycle uh, with one of those songs called Hear Bullet. With all of the tragic shootings and everything that's been going on lately, I've been working on figuring out a way to tie in the arts and our conversations with that conversation. And Kurt reached out and we recorded something. So uh, uh, we're going to listen to a little uh, excerpt uh, on either side of the conversation from Hear Bullet. But I'll read uh, a little bit of the description here. It says, Hear Bullet is radically innovative poetry, firsthand poetic descriptions of 21st century warfare by an established poet at the height of his powers. I approach this work with great respect and trepidation, seeking ways to amplify the raw, visceral power of the poetic descriptions. So in this poem set to music, you have a person talking to a bullet, you know, Mm. uh, facing death by suicide. When we talk about gun violence, uh, we rightfully spend a lot of time talking about violent gun violence, one person to another. But we can't forget about the way mental health fits into this conversation and the many faces of gun violence and gun death, um, especially as it relates to veterans in uh, the poem that uh, is set to music here. So Kurt has created this piece of music and um, his colleague Will Chase works in uh, theater and acting spaces, has done a lot of Broadway and all those sorts of things. And he's creating um, a visual. He's creating a short film based um, on this piece of music. So the three of us, we talk about the process. We talk about uh, what this piece of music is, what the goals are, how the conversation can uh, expand beyond um, and and everything in between. So here's a little bit of Hear Bullet by Kirk Erickson to get me into my conversation with Kirk Erickson and Will Chase collaborating on this project. start conversations and we can introduce into the mix maybe things that that haven't been talked about but really need to be talked about and um so i'm constantly on the lookout for Mm. new or interesting things i I don't want to do same old same old right The, the things that have been done to death and um so uh, we'll reference my wife, Heidi, soprano Heidi Moss Erickson. She, I, I got to give her a shout out here. She, uh, she was commuting uh, to the San Francisco 
conservatory where she teaches and uh, heard poet Brian Turner. I think it was on NPR. He was hmm. being interviewed and just she came back and said, oh, this, this, this guy's amazing. This is really interesting. I mean, the story sells itself. I mean, here's an internationally renowned poet and author who also just so happened he served in in the military and did tours of duty in both Bosnia and Iraq. I mean, those two worlds don't mm -hmm. usually overlap. And um, so we, we got the book. And um, once I started reading it, I was just absolutely amazed. I mean, here's firsthand poetic descriptions of what this guy saw, went through, the effects not only on him and fellow servicemen, but the people and the in the Iraqi countryside. And it was just so beautifully done and viscerally powerful. Um, and also as a way to sort of like find moments of beauty as well. So it's not, you know, a, it's heavy, it's serious, but it's not a complete, you know, downer. Hmm. And to, uh, I thought, you know, you something like this, you go, how, and I'd love to set this, but how in the world could I do justice to this? And uh, fortunately, as composers, we tend to be a little bold. And I got over that. <laughs> and I thought, mm. this, would, this would be great. This would be, I don't know of, and I still don't, I don't know of any art song settings that tackle something so relevant, so recent. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, why don't they? Uh, you know, I, okay, I can't fix that, but I, I can, I can start, I can start now. And so when I, when I did start writing the piece, what I thought, and I, and I, I just posted about this recently on social media. I, I thought that I was going to be setting um, some texts that would tell interesting stories about a particular time in history and what was going on with the service members, specifically what Brian saw the, the, Iraqi people, how um, this devastating conflict affected them. I thought that that was, was my story. And that's an important story to tell. But what gradually became apparent was that this is a lot bigger hmm. than just this. Because gun violence and this sort of senseless killing, um, it's not just relegated to these sort of state-sponsored activities, but it happens every day. Mm -hmm. And the bigger picture, and you mentioned with George Floyd and on the personal level, what's going on here in our country. And it every day, there's a different, there's a different event. I mean, we'll mention July 4th and the Highland Park shootings. And, you know, before that, it's, oh, geez, what just happened in Texas? Oh, that's horrible. And then, oh, well, what's going on in Ukraine? And it's, it's such a, it's such a bigger picture it's such an important story and it's something uh it's a conversation we need to start frankly and I, I don't know where it goes i don't know what that conversation is going to look like uh but we've got to start because this is this is too important and it, it's affecting too many people 
you mentioned that you can't really think of uh, many other works in the art song world that speak to this. Does that in itself speak to something? I mean, the question that I want to ask is where does this piece belong? Who is the audience for it? Who are the performers for it? But its absence maybe says art song is not the space or at least hasn't been thought of the space for these sort of conversations. Yeah, I'm a glass half full guy. So I'll say that it hasn't, <laughs> it hasn't been in the past. Uh, the reception has been incredible. And if you look at like successful examples of when concert classical music has successfully um, broached difficult conversations that are going on at the time, and wow, oh, this, this is now it's on our radar. Well, you know what? Maybe that's what this is now. And, you know, we can't go back in time and I can't speak for other composers and other people who haven't addressed this, but you know, we can start now. And, and, I, think- I, and I think, I think Garrett too, uh, where the, the time, the, the timing couldn't be better because of the platforms we have now mm. to, yes. to yes. ingest uh, music or cause, cause when I first heard the piece, it's, it's, it sounds like a an, an art song. I mean, it's very contemporary right. and it's dissonant and and the subject matter is not typical art song, but it fits in this genre of the person comes out and there's a pianist and a person sings this and it's intense and the moment's over and then they sing another, they sing a Schubert leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this this to me, when I when I read when I saw a performance of it and then thought, oh, well, this needs to be a short film. I didn't even want to say classical music video because i don't even know what the hell that is or if that means anything (laughs) nobody does and i didn't want to say music video either i feel like this is a piece that can be ingested it can be talked about it can be in education it can be at sundance it can because because of the subject matter i'm not an idiot but also just framing it in a way that you know this is a story that no one ever as a kurt and i've talked about this is a a song where a guy talks to a bullet. You never get to have this conversation. Mm. People that die of gunshots never get to have a conversation in in real time with this thing. That's the that's the fantasy of it, and that spoke to me. And I feel like we all want to have that conversation. Those of us who've been shot at, those of us who've not been shot at, I feel like we're all shot at every time that there's a a mass shooting or someone it's, or I hear, you know, I live in Brooklyn. I, I hear gunshots. I feel like we're all shot at mm. when that happens. And so this to me is like all of us going, I'm flipping off the microphone, all of us going, <laughs> Hey, th- this isn't fair. This isn't right, but damn it. Now I'm going to have my say. And then of course that's going to go away. So I don't know that that spoke to me in a way that I don't know of another piece that does. And to your to your question, I think it fits in lots of places, but I don't think it fits in the normal places, and mm. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, or imperative. And, you know, and you mentioned you know it has to be more than just a classical music video, whatever that is. Well, what's right. the what's the approach or execution behind translating what's more? It's not just that. There's there. It has to be something more. So how does that? Um, translate to a viewer or, or, or to an audience member? What is that something more? 
I mean, just, you know, we, we are such a visual society. We, we ingest everything via, you know, our, our black screens, our phones. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think just, uh, I mean, my kids watch YouTube like it's, you know, that's television to them. Um, I think, I think, yeah, yep. TikTok. I think, I think taking this art song, orchestrating it, setting this person i've set this person in the middle of the woods and having this moment there's a ton of you know it's funny i'm not much of a writer but the few things i've written this one's very visual effects heavy because when you're writing it you're like and then the bullet stops and he sings to a bullet well how the hell do you shoot that Mm -hmm. and my vfx guy my dp are like how are we doing this and so we're figuring that out because we because we want it we're so used to being able to turn on the TV, turn on a, a computer and watch something really cool or really interesting or technically cool. And I want that uh, I want that to translate. And I want this this piece is still about a human. It's not about the visual effects. It's not about the bullet. It's about this person and the emotion of this person and what they're going through and and the very moment that none of us are ever going to get to have, no one gets to have this conversation. Hmm. And so trying to get that, trying to translate, translate that visually is going to be hard, but I think well worth the effort when you have this orchestration, when you have this gentleman singing, when you have these effects, I I think it has an emotional impact. uh, And uh, the, like the first time I heard the piece. I want to pull on that thread a little bit, Kurt. I I think it is a, a good point to to think about centering the person do we do that in the way that we talk about gun violence generally i mean we aren't talking about violence against people the phrase literally is gun violence Hmm. yeah i think i mean like like everything in life um when it's when it's more personal it it means something it's not more abstract and as i was as i was listening to this um and talking about the bullet you know it it occurred to me you know it's not just you know somebody writing about this experience brian was there he's not it's not somebody with a really creative imagination who's imagining something oh this would be terrible or i read about this i mean Mm -hmm. this guy was there he was being shot at he had in the case of the second song uh eulogy he had a service member you know die you know at the suicide he saw his friends and people that he was working with that were, you know, shot by Iraqi combatants. I mean, this, that's when it becomes really personal um, and not, and not abstract. We will definitely, I want to loop back around to the part of the conversation where we're talking about uh, the Western classical industry's responsibility, you know, as a whole to engage these things. But Kurt, if you're comfortable I wonder if you can uh, speak to the way that the military um, did or maybe didn't offer something to this mm-hmm. story, didn't engage, or as as you said in writing, sort of brushed it under the rug. Yeah, well, um, there's Brian actually tells a, a, a wonderful story um, about the second song, Eulogy, um, when uh, this fellow soldier, uh, Private Miller, um, uh, ends up taking his own life and he he tells this story and it's 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 absolutely heartbreaking and every time i hear it I, it just moves me even more uh, and he talks about the um uh, the service members when they fly back uh stateside and they're getting um uh 
sort of honored, and then they're honoring the people who who lost their lives in Iraq. And whether by design or an accident, um, this this one particular soldier's name was omitted. And mm. Brian thought like that, that that's not right. And so he thought that that was perhaps um, that maybe he was omitted because they didn't they didn't think that he died a soldier's death, mm. and, quote unquote. And so Brian's response to that was, you know, this isn't right. And I want to memorialize and I want to honor this person. Now, for myself, reading this, I don't have a military background. I was just interested in the story. I didn't know Brian at the time, certainly the people he served with. But that was incredibly moving to me. And being an empath, um, I wanted to like, okay, well, Brian is honoring this guy. I want to do the same thing. And I want to help him. And so I wanted to sort of amplify that story as well. And so, okay, so how can I do this? And what of tools or techniques that I can use to like sort of make a common commentary on this. And so since he was sort of passed over, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this guy the most sort of heroic and courageous music that I could come up with. Because I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been there. I, I didn't do that. And, you know, the things that these people, that the people that were serving saw and experienced Oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, that, that takes an incredible amount of, of courage. So, so I think as a composer, there are things that we can do to sort of amplify uh, the story or sort of, you know, pay tribute. Right. right. So, so we'll, in, in, in what Kirk is describing, we have the individual working where the structure or where the system will not. That's one example as it's plainly laid out. From your perspective, are we dealing with the same thing in the arts, the, the composers, the individual um, and independent movie creators, all of these people, these individuals working where the big structures won't? Yeah, yeah. And, and like, I mean, I think there's a disc, there's, there's certainly a disconnect. You know, there are people and there are brave and I, I, uh, brave uh, is a relative term, but brave uh, filmmakers and musicians that do want to do it. But it's, you know. It's part of the it's part of the bigger picture of the the uh, the system and the structures that are in place. The military, for example, you know, just that example doesn't want to call that guy a you know a soldier. Didn't have an honorable death, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, to your point, yeah, I, in the in I, I'm so out of touch in the classical uh, in quotes musical world. Um, so I just tend to think like, yeah, let's make a let's make a short film and. Let's call it whatever the hell you want to call it. Just it'll, as long as it gets seen somewhere. I don't care if it's in the classical music video world. I don't even know if that exists or where right, it is in the right. short film world. Um, and I think, you know, Kurt and I were uh, talking earlier, joking about, do I want to go see an opera about gun violence for two and a half hours? Or right. do I want to watch a five minute, you know, so it, it, it the, the artist still has to, um, the artist still has to, sit alone in their closet and create and have mm -hmm. that seed of that, that narcissistic moment of when we're before collaboration, we're alone with our thoughts, come up with the thing, taking all the things in and then, you know, kind of have this seed of creation, that God moment that we all have as artists. And, um, 
then start to find the people to help you put that together. And that's the hard part. I think you're referring to Garrett is, and I don't know the answer where, 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 where is the rest of that system to help a young uh, artist who wants to do that or an orchestra who wants to, you know, I, I am fascinated by, um, LA Phil's getting a little bit better about it. And some of the, the orchestras are starting to go, Oh, Oh, we need to do compositions. First of all, from people who are walking down the street right now, right. but also that are relative to what is happening. Yes. It's a soundscape. Yes. There'll be liner notes that explain the piece if it's not a vocal piece, but that's what we need to do. That's going to get people in the concert hall. And then other than that, you know, I, I just think it just takes, um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I mean, Kurt, with the difficulties of the structure of the system, as it were, considered, you have found individuals already to really help bring this to life. I've, I've been listening, of course, to the recording that's on YouTube now. How do you approach someone <laughs> with a request to, you know, put this music, this story, these feelings into their voice i mean is there a coercion is there a warning a trigger warning sorry but you know again no pun intended but yeah, how, well, what yeah, is, yeah. That, all right yeah yeah well this is a whole nother podcast too how do we get our work <laughs> performed um but uh, there's an interesting story about how this particular piece um uh, came came to be um i uh i would say you know we all have our strengths and weaknesses in life and our career and the thing that i've had the most success with is um, is working collaboratively both with individuals uh, and with organizations. So as an example, I've had like 13 years or so of uh, multi-year composer residencies with, with different groups. Um, and I, I've developed some skill sets of like putting kind of larger projects together. Um, so with that in mind, uh, what I did with this piece is I decided to create a, um, a consortium model Hmm. Now, for uh, for listeners who don't know, how does this work and how do composers make their way in the world? Uh, short answer with great difficulty. But um, <laughs> the typical way is someone commissions you to write a piece of music and, you know, X amount of dollars. It's never enough, but whatever. And you spend, you know, months like with blood, sweat, and tears, and going through all the stages of neuroticism. Is this going to work? It's not going to work. And then eventually you get to a place where you're rehearsing it, and there's never enough rehearsals, but okay, mm -hmm. fine, whatever. And then you hope that that performance night, and maybe there's two or three, that you know everything comes together, and it's this wonderful performance, and you know people love it and appreciate it, um, and that's a wonderful feel feeling. But... Um, but then what happens next? Because you do all this work and then we all go off to different gigs mm -hmm. because that's how the industry works. And so then, and including yourself as a composer. And so then you've got this piece that you spent all this time energy with and you just kind of, you have these initial performances. And so um, as I had been uh, contemplating for this a long time, I had this transition where I started to, change my commissions to small consortiums. So let's get three people, three different organizations to commission a, a one act opera instead of one, or let's do a, you know, two different colleges or three um, to, to commission a piece and sort of share the costs. So I came up with this particular project. Uh, I came up with this idea thinking, you know what, let's take this to the logical conclusion. 
I'm going to do that. I'm going to set up a summer project. Uh, I'm going to do a call for participation. And just to make it easy on everyone, I'm going to completely wipe out the commission fees. So I'm going to say, if you want to jump on board, we'll call it a commission. Look, let's take out the economics of this. If you agree to perform the work, uh, I think I set up for like twice during the 2019-2020 season. Um, that's great. That's, that's a model. And I'll gain from this because I'll get to work with these wonderful artists all over the place and my music will go out and you as a performer will gain because you'll get to actually say, oh, I was a part of this like large scale commission project, got to work with a composer, but you didn't personally have to write a check. And so I going into this, I thought this could work. This could not work. Who, you know, well, it'll be an experiment. Uh, turns out that people Ed, were really, really interested. And they love the idea that, oh, this poetry, the subject matter, this looks fascinating. Um, I had about 30 different singers on three different continents who jumped on board. Some of them were just interested from the, this sounds like an interesting project uh, approach standpoint. Others were, uh, I was, I'm a veteran or I was in the armed services or mm. some people said my mm. spouse was, or my father was. And so this was 2019, 2020. And remember what happened in March with COVID. Um, so we started in the fall and of those 30 singers, we got a roughly two thirds of the performances in, which is a good number, uh, before things kind of shut down in March. So yeah. I had an opportunity to hear different performers perform the work, different interpretations, um, different opportunities. Um, and then I also, after that, had the good fortune of seeing the piece uh, receive uh, first prize in the 2020 Nats Art Song mm. competition. That's awesome. So, so now I, this is, I mean, yeah, that's fantastic. I don't usually send my music to competitions but for whatever reason i thought this is this is a good fit let's just let's try it and so to your point garrett is now okay i've got singers that are really interested in it and the audience um reaction has been great but now i've got an institution who is also invested in it and has awarded it the first prize as well um so i think that actually you know that's the optimist in me, um, you know, that bodes well that it's not just, okay, here's a couple of lone artists saying, I've got a good idea and I want you <laughs> to listen to it. Mm -hmm. I've got performers that are performing it all over the place and it had media attention and one singer uh, used it as his um, uh, a doctoral dissertation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which has since been published in recordings. And here's this large umbrella organization for all the singers in North America. Um, so that tells me that um, that these types of issues, you know, when done well and when things are, when the, the piece is effective and when the subject matter is timely, uh, that, you know, people don't necessarily shy away from the difficult subject matter. So, so Will, when it comes to thinking about um, 
compelling an audience to check out the film that will ultimately come from this project. Do you think the uh, what initiates that curiosity is similar to what Kurt is describing? Is it about reaching an audience's personal sort of uh, uh, experiences or how, how, how do you think about developing the, the audience in that way? Yeah. And again, uh, I think the, the piece is, uh, for lack of a better word, jarring, you know, it's, again, it's not subject matter that you used to hearing sung on a stage. Mm -hmm. And, and I know artists either secretly or non-secretly want to do something edgy or jarring or whatever. And especially it's something as timely. uh, I hate using the word timely, but, um, as intense and important as this, I think when you get talk about the film world, you know, then you start getting into the business aspect of, Right. How do we get eyeballs on this thing? If we're trying to tell this story and, you know, the short film um, route, uh, I've been learning the last couple of years. I've had a couple of short films at festivals and and it's a it's a great place to get, uh, I don't want to say the right eyeballs, but the right eyeballs, uh, the, the movers, the, the people who are going to say, hey, I'll put this on a platform. That's going to get thousands or millions of eyeballs on it. That's that's great. But I also see this as an educational tool. Mm. I see this piece being, I, I see veterans watching this piece. I see people, to me, this is a way in. It's the same way that music is a way in. It's the same way that that um, something you're uncomfortable with or someone you're uncomfortable with or you might not know about, let's say, or you're ignorant about art and music and film and TV has had a wonderful way over the years of just allowing, you know, I grew yep. up in the South. I think you grew up in the South. Yep. Just allowing some of those conversations in households where those conversations wouldn't happen. Um, this is one. This feels like one of those. This feels like here's a way in and an, and an inventive way to. And again, I keep saying that I feel like we all are. I think it's an. It's always an attack on all of us. I feel like when there's a gunshot and when we talk about guns. And to your point earlier, Garrett, that there's this disconnect between, no, it's a real, it's a real person. It's real people mm-hmm. that died. I feel like it's attack on us every single time, every single time they don't pass legislation, every single time that this argument comes up about guns and it's not the gun. And then like, it blows my mind. So this is a way in, mm. this is a conversation between a person and a bullet. I mean, it's about as fantastical and is never going to happen. We will never hear from someone who, it dies from a bullet wound. We just won't. And and again, the 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 suicide issue that is very rarely discussed, which is most of the people who die from mm-hmm. gunshots, is people who commit suicide. So so I, I think um, it's going to be a task getting eyeballs on this. Uh, but I, I think in the right settings with the right um, uh, backing, with the right motivation behind it, I think you know it will. Uh, get a lot of eyeballs and that's all I kind of care about with the piece. I mean, the piece already has its notoriety. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt obviously has, you know, so I think uh, now this is just gravy. I think it's important for, for, and I know everybody thinks this about every movie they've ever made and every television show or whatever, but I mean, I don't know what could be more important than the discussion along the, along the lines of everything else. Who does it affect the most gunshot? Mm-hmm you know, mm-hmm. the deaths, who is, wh- which part of society is that affecting most? If it starts that conversation, then I, I feel like great job. And we made an artistically interesting, um, moving musical piece. 
So let me ask you this, Will. A little mm-hmm. earlier, Kurt spoke to, um, you know, the the unfortunate circumstance for many artists. You know, you come and you do this thing and at the end of the day, it's just a gig and you and you go home back to life. Do you think about that from the audience perspective? What keeps an audience member from going and taking this in and then going back to whatever they're doing? And this was just another piece of art that I took in another film that I saw. With how many people are in the world? Seven billion or whatever the hell it is, um, or four hundred million <laughs> sure. Americans, right? Um, I, I I don't know. I constantly have to remind myself, and I teach a little bit. But when I'm acting, especially, I've done a lot of Broadway shows. You know, when you're doing a Broadway show, you're doing eight shows a week. It can be tiring as hell. You're doing the same thing. And I literally used to write on my dressing room uh, door in Sharpie. So sorry, all the theater owners across the years, uh, but. Um, uh, this is their first time. I always wrote, this is their first time. It's this audience coming to see this mm. thing. And, you know, I always say, oh, they've spent this much on dinner. They spent this much on tickets. They have thought about this moment for the last year. They've thought about coming to see fill in the blank Broadway show. I think art can still do that. I'm moved by movies and television. And I talk to, you know, I have friends that I will go, have you seen this we have to talk about it i don't i'm I, and i'm aware that not everybody's like that mm-hmm. but i still believe that you know art film music theater can do that kurt yeah, yeah. And, and and i i agree with that too and I, i'm thinking you know for myself as a composer you know I, i'm also an audience member just like everyone else is and one of the things that i really enjoy is you know you you, you go to a show or a concert or read some book and it, it's incredibly powerful and also unique. And those are the kinds of things that stick with you and that stick with me. And then I'm mulling this over. Whoa, I need a couple of days to think mm-hmm. about this. And then I'm, I'm talking to a friend or maybe I'm making a post about this. And wow, that that really struck me. And there is something, you know, in our brains that when when we're moved really deeply, when something is really powerful, you know, it sticks with us. It's not just, oh, that's a nice little piece or that's a nice little movie or a book. Um, I think Garrett, it, yeah, it, it does have a way to stick with us. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I was just, uh, and I don't know your age, but um, it is, do you feel, now I'm asking you a question because I'm sure. interested. Do you feel that it's a generational, I mean, I know every generation says the younger generation doesn't spend time doing shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do, you, do you feel though that there's a generational thing of, you know, I ingest this, I put, I'm holding up my phone. I ingest this. Okay. I put it down. I'm off to the races. Is that a, is that a, is that a byproduct of this thing? Or am I just an old fuddy duddy now and say, we used to yeah. talk about art, you know, in movies. Right, right. I mean, I, I think that's a great question. I think there are a lot of things. I'm 35, by the way. Okay, I, okay. I think there are a lot of things uh, with millennials that, you know, are discussed and explored and, and unpacked. I do think that social media plays a role in um, in attention span and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, also you no one can really deny the fact that we aren't as engaged in 
many of these peripheral conversations in the same way as we were in 2020. You know, right. if, if I if I uh, rewind back to, I don't know, 1965, 1966, I'm sure the conversations were sure. much more to the front and they didn't even have the social media to, to help right. spread the word, you know. So right. I guess that's what I think about and, and why I ask that question, because it just seems like a, a recurring part of our culture for something horrible to happen, for us to talk about it for 15 minutes, for us to pretend we're going to do something about it. And then the whole cycle goes uh, back around. So, I mean, right. maybe it's generational or maybe it's just who we are as, as a people. Right, right, right. Cyclical. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, before we wrap up here, um, how can folks keep up with the, uh, the progress of the film? How can folks uh, check out the piece of music, everything that folks need to know? Well, um, I mean, at the moment, I mean, we were, we are so in the early stages. I'm, you know, uh, I'm going to sit down with the DP and a visual effects guy and do storyboards and um, talk to Kurt about orchestrations at some point. And, uh, I, I don't, there, there's, there's literally nothing with the film right now. We are, we are really at the beginning. I mean, I had a seed of an idea because Heidi sent me, literally sent me the piece, said, listen to this. It blew me away. I wrote a screenplay over the weekend and we started the ball rolling. Um, but as far as the piece goes, I mean, it's performed everywhere all the time. Yes, Kurt? Uh, well, I mean, I hope so. Uh, my <laughs> website <laughs> my website is, is KurtErickson.com and I will have both information about Here Bullet, the piece, the project, uh, as well as, as the film. And Will's being very modest. Um, when he sent me... Um, some of the uh, the short films that he's done, um, I was oh my goodness, wow! This is this is incredible writing, directing, acting. And then when he sent the five page uh, screenplay over, it was the same type of reaction. And... He doesn't seem like a percussionist at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to take that dig, Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> the the poet Brian Turner and I were both oh my goodness this is amazing we're excited we've started to have um you know fairly regular meetings about this where we're moving forward talking to uh consultants so yes this is at the early stages but um but we we are are moving forward and we'll have information up really soon well, I want to I want to wrap up with this so for the past month or so uh Scott my co-host and I we have been circling a very uncomfortable conversation when it when it comes to gun violence and how the arts can engage this conversation i almost hate to put it into words but i feel like we we have to we have to have the conversation there are so many arts institutions still that you know won't take that forward facing um approach to saying something or or taking a stand on on this issue we've had the the movie theater shootings we've had the parade shooting all the do we need to have the concert hall shooting do we need to have the broadway show shooting for arts institutions to really play a role in this conversation is it too late are we headed there what are your ideas on that i don't i don't i don't know I, and maybe i'm just uh, stupid and naive i don't think i am i don't know why the, I don't know why the conversation, I'm blown away when I started this process with Kurt that the conversation wasn't happening. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope not. I hope it doesn't take that. But we, we know that in this country, it uh, sometimes takes that uh, beating over the head with something to the point of, but with this, we, we've been beat over the head uh, so much that uh, are we, are we numb? I, I, I don't know. I'm a, 
glass. I'm usually a glass half full. Uh, and I like to say, don't, uh, never say never, but, um, I, I don't know until, until some people are brave enough to, uh, not brave, screw that. Until some people do their job in, mm. in our legislature and the people that have a voice in the entertainment world, uh, in our, uh, colleges, universities, in the arts world until they just say, sorry, not here, or we have to do this. And to some legislators get off their asses. I don't see a, I don't see a light. I don't know if that sounds horribly pessimistic, but that's kind of where I'm at. I don't Kurt, have final, much faith. Final, final thoughts, Kurt. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know why it hasn't been as much of an issue up till now either. Um, as the concert classical music world starts coming to grips with a lot of issues, that are really important. I don't know. Maybe it's there's issue paralysis that there's already so many things that we're we're trying to address that there hasn't been room up to this point. I I, I really don't know. But um, regardless of that, um, man, uh, it, it's overdue, and we do need to talk about it. And um, my goodness, and I just want to note that we're, you know, we're recording and having this conversation the day after the former prime minister of Japan mm -hmm. was shot mm -hmm. in a public space, too. And so it seems like every time we want to reference something, what we reference gets pushed out of the way because there's something new. And, you know, when this goes to air, is there going to be something else where that's the newest thing? I don't know. I hope it doesn't take something that's in a concert hall or, or on Broadway. Uh, but I mean, surely there's enough examples already out in the world that um, you know, there's enough to talk about it. And we do need to talk about it. The tail end there of Here Bullet by Kirk Erickson. Huge thanks to both Kirk and Will Chase for joining me to talk about this very real and direct way to address the conversation musically. Not everyone is the social justice worker. Not everyone is the on the ground activist. Some people are the composers. And this that this is how Kurt has decided to to do this. Something that I wanted to, um, you know, throw at you, Scott, when it comes to addressing this issue through the arts and through repertoire, one of my ideas was to unnormalize the silence with the starting point being acknowledging where the issue, where the concept of guns and gun violence has already intersected the classical repertoire, the Western classical repertoire. The first piece that comes to my mind is Billy the Kid. There's a shootout movement. You know, how can we use that bit of music as the springboard for engaging the conversation and finding those ways? There's also the, I forget the composer, but I think there's an opera called The the Free Shooter. The Fresh Hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there that that is a place where guns and gun violence, whatever, however you want to contextualize it, has already intersected. So I feel like we can use those as examples of the arts even addressing that. 
I feel like we've gotten used to saying, well, you know, folks like Beethoven were always speaking to the times in this, uh, even in, in this opus earlier today, you said that there were different, uh, influences of the music around composers when it came to the music that they wrote. So mm -hmm. it's not like they're living in this bubble. I don't know. This is definitely a topic that the arts, I think, has the opportunity, but also the obligation uh, to, to, to address in some way. We can't say that there's no place where these conversations have intersected because we have those tried and true pieces of music that dig into it. We have new pieces of music like Hear Bullet to to dig into it. I don't know. Do you think do you think repertoire is a is a great starting point? How would you begin the conversation of helping a classical listener or a classical um space address mm. guns? To it's, not pretend it's not there. It's a way. It's a starting point. You also have Haydn's Symphony number no. seventy three, that's the hunt. Oh sure, you know there's plenty of gun sounds uh, in right. there. Okay, so where 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 would you land with 1812 overture then? If with oh, that's another yeah, cannons? that's another a, a example. I think, and, or yeah. any of these martial sort of um, uh, Janissary bands sort of right. compositions. I think where I would go with it maybe is to dig into the role of guns in society as it applied to those people and to those contexts. Where were they? Were people, were, were school children getting killed in those contexts? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. how are those contexts of guns different from our contemporary context of guns? And this is a conversation that no one can say, oh, well, you're just trying to make this political. No, our springboard, our starting place was these, this piece of music by Haydn, was this Billy the Kid Suite by Copeland, you know? So it's not me saying just play the music. I think a lot of people are challenged by the idea of connecting the arts with a conversation like gun violence. And mm. I think acknowledging where it already intersects dispels the idea that it's political, you know, we're, we're mixing things that shouldn't be mixed. So if we can determine that, you know, there have been these intersections, we can start there so that we can justify, not that we need a, a justification for the conversation, but for people who need a justification of those intersections, mixing those two things, showing them that it's there and then moving from there. That's, that's sort of my idea. Every day we're waking up to another shooting and every day we're waking up to silent arts institutions on the subject of gun violence, relatively silent anyway. I feel like there's a great opportunity through repertoire, both new music and historic music to help us begin the conversation or, or, or mm. begin the justification for people who need the justification of blending those things. <sighs> We're getting into the fourth movement here. Right. And you had a, a musical suggestion i was uh i was telling you how i want to talk about how i'm you know making some proverbial giant steps in my work and there's a piece of music titled it such fits even. yeah it fits it's john coltrane's giant steps probably one of his more difficult uh compositions to play and it works because this is the anniversary of his death he died on july 17th 1967 just shy of his 41st birthday mm. So another composer that you can add to the list that died way too young, but um, celebrating the life of John Coltrane with Giant Steps. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to say this, and I'm not even trying to be funny. Music like that makes me proud to be an American. It makes me think about recontextualizing that phrase classical music to affirming John Coltrane and all of the other jazz greats as our classical composers, as as our uh, marble bust right. musicians right. in in the in the museum or wherever we want to want to put them. What it, what incredible music and what a incredible force John Coltrane was. What do you think? I, do you think you're moving at a pace uh, close to the the tempo of Giant Steps lately? <laughs> <laughs> My mind has been so. Um, this week, I want to send some acknowledgement out to the part of the work, the part of the personality, the part of the everyday living that doesn't always make it out to the public. Mm. I'm going to shout out Lacoli in Washington. You know, something that uh, we talked about when I was his student back in undergraduate days is how in an audition, in, or, in an orchestra audition situation, <laughs> you don't send yourself. You don't go. You send your representative. This is the best version of my of playing these orchestral excerpts. You know, you send the version of you that's perfect, mm. that's unshakable. So when we talk about the humanness of music and of live performance, there is a place for that after you got the job. <laughs> you know, not not at the audition. Mm. So I feel I'm thinking about that because. I think that translates, bleeds over into social media. On social media, we do, as a people, a really great job of highlighting and showcasing our upward mobility, you know, how well we're doing, so well that we're uh, out here on vacation doing this. Or, you know, you, you know, posted your new roof on (laughs) on Instagram. You know, and it's and it's good to use social media for that. I think that comes at the cost sometimes of us not being as honest with ourselves or with our friends or with our individual publics as we can be. So this morning, you know, today as we're recording this, I decided to get on social media and say, listen, I got a lot going on. And sometimes I'd be around here feeling stressed, especially these days, uh, continuing my own business, working over at the American Composers Orchestra. Mm -hmm. Things can stack up and it can feel stressful. Not that I feel like things are insurmountable, but I think it's very affirming to show that we're human. Mm-hmm. And sometimes life is hard, especially in the type of work of dismantling racism, you know, of having these uncomfortable conversations. You know, in this opus of Triloquy alone, Scott, we've talked about um, how stressful it is to have a platform and to feel like I have to address wrongdoing, the perpetuation of racism within opera by black women you know we have this incredible piece of music by philip glass recorded by the american composers orchestra by the way i didn't um mention that Mm. um so it you know it feels good to be in proximity to that sort of music making and uh the creation of those recordings to uh to to really permeate the industry towards something new and its connection to david bowie and all of the things that he was doing in his life, you know, how that can be uncomfortable. The uncomfortable conversations um, are uncomfortable before they're verbalized. You know, the, what, what spins around in my head, you know, can be dissonant. And what do I talk about? What do I bring to the front? Mm-hmm. The most equitable use of my time, the most equitable use of my platforms. So I just felt like I needed to get that out toward inspiring and in other people the freedom and the ability and the autonomy to do the same. 
I love seeing the positive stuff on Facebook. I love seeing all of the things that people are doing, all of the things that people are achieving. I know that there are some folks out there that don't share with the world. And, and that's the right. I'm not saying we have to put all, all of our business out on French Street. I'm saying I this week want to just affirm the purpose of being one's most genuine self and how affirming it can be to share with the world, with your viewing public, whatever. Life is going fine. I'm feeling the pressure of doing this type of work. I'm pressing forward. Shout out to you. If you're having a rough time, I hope that you will also press through and know that nothing is insurmountable or whatever, you know, inspirational thing you want to put on top of it. How do you, uh, you know, you're not as deeply involved in social media as I, I used am, to be. But, but how do, how do you address now the, the, the space between celebrating life, the good, and I'm a human being just like you. And maybe you don't feel comfortable showing your humanity, but hopefully my showing my humanity will inspire and affirm your humanity and whatever hardness, hardship you're going through right now in your life. Yeah. I haven't had much of a, I haven't had much time to be active on that social too. media recently. That too. Same. Um, this last six months to a year, but I used to do that when I was on Facebook. I would I would share when things were getting me down or something like that. And I don't know if it's just that all everybody in my friends list was, you know, a bunch of wise guys going, ah, waka waka, here's here's a joke about your pain. Mm. Or um, you know, um I when I when I quit Facebook, I was I forget what I was upset about, but there was somebody that I used to work with who posted something really long and, and demeaning about how I've already made up my mind over some stupid issue, this, that, and the other thing. And that was exactly what I didn't need in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I seized the horns and I came back and I said, you know what, Dean, get your ass off my page. I never liked you or your, <laughs> litter hit, your little Hitler tash neither. Wow. Ooh. So uh, get to stepping. And I left it up there for a day. So that everybody could see it. Sure. And then I bounced. I was out. And it's been so great. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so wonderful. Yeah. I felt better off of Facebook than I ever have on. A part of a, a part of the heaviness for me is that it would be very easy and probably beneficial for me to pull those social media plugs. Mm -hmm. If it ain't me on social media, on Facebook, on, on these other platforms trying to engage some of these conversations, try to help people think about some of these things. Who else? That's sometimes where I, I get left and I have to think about this work and my impact beyond me and balance you know, my own self-care with making sure I'm doing everything right. I can. You know, um, I just want folks to know and understand that it's okay to be in those moments of challenge and stress as long as you aren't letting it hold you back or defeat you or inhibit your actual process. I'm in my state of mind, you know, with my Buddhism and everything else to see every challenge as an opportunity. So I am filled with feelings of opportunity these days with all of the things that I'm juggling. And as these conversations get deeper and more nuanced and more direct and more uncomfortable, you know, the opportunities that are that are in that. I want people to feel open and to just normalize not hiding what's real. 
I think once we we can get to the real story of each other, once we, we can get to where we're actually engaging each other, not our representatives, but you know, our real selves, we can get into some conversation that may be challenging, that may be difficult, but can push us in a direction where we're actually going toward those goals that we allege to be uh, working toward or wanting. More authentic engagement with each other will pave the way for greater days ahead. I really see that. And I really believe that. So, you know, to everybody out there feeling pressure these days, I hope we gave y'all something entertaining, something educational this week. We're doing our best. I know a lot of y'all are doing your best too, but in doing your best and feeling stressed or down or not knowing where to start, you know, when I was uh, down South uh, this past weekend at that wedding, Scott, the Roe v. Wade situation really hit a lot of people hard. I, there are so many people who I would have never thought would uh, be getting their passports and stuff together and looking at living in other countries. You know, there's a lot of that yeah. happening in my old friend groups and not just talk, like actually doing it, you know. So in, in that part of the country, it's really been something. For those folks, and, you know, friend, friends of mine, black women talking about they going to Japan, you know, like it's it's real. You know, I understand that this world is is challenging us in, in many different ways. We have an opportunity to do something. We have an opportunity to uh, to have it in our face, to feel the pressure of these situations, to have the labor of figuring out what we need to step back from, what we need to step up to and making the world a better place so that when it's all said and done, we can say that we did our part, that we did something and we have something to do with the better better ecosystem that we're living in. Thanks so much, everyone. Keep on keeping on and we'll see y'all next week.